0: Go ahead and head out, and uh, I think middle schoolers are heading that uh, way to the community room as well. Let's give our band a hand today. They were awesome. (laughs) Mm. So glad I'm not leading worship. (sighs) (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, hey, my uh, 25-year class reunion was this weekend— I did not attend. Uh, I just had too much going on. But uh, this morning, in honor of the 80s, we're going to start off with a little 80s name that tune right now. And so if you think you can identify this song and maybe even the artist, just shoot that hand up in the air. DJ. What? In excess, name the song. Anyone? The one thing, yes, thank you. Awesome. All right. Hey, anybody else at that 1986 concert at Memorial Hall in excess? Anyone? No? Dang it. How many of you weren't born in 1986? Yes. Okay. Well, hey, we've been talking about uh, that phrase one thing here for the past few weeks. We've been looking at some conversations that happened in the New Testament between Jesus and, and a couple of different people and... And Jesus talking about the one thing that was needed um, in their life at that time. We took a look at an interaction that he had with um, a rich young man uh, in Mark chapter 10. And then also um, these two sisters, Mary and Martha. A couple of weeks ago in Mark chapter 10, we talked about this interaction that Jesus had with this, this rich young man who had, who had tried to be attentive to religion. He had tried to do all the right things and follow all the Old Testament rules. But he realized that he was still lacking something and so he jesus he comes to jesus and he says he says tell me how i can inherit eternal life what must i do to inherit eternal life and jesus replies to him if you remember he says one thing you lack knowing that this guy had that money was kind of his idol he says i want you to sell everything and give it to the poor and then come follow me and as we took a look at that story because of his material wealth and, and knowing that if he had to choose between that and following Jesus, it says that he walked away sad, because he was unable to part with the things of this world. And then last week, Justin led us through a look into the story of Mary and Martha that takes place in Luke chapter 10, a pretty familiar story. Jesus and his disciples show up in town to come to their home for lunch, kind of unexpected one day. And so Martha kind of goes into this hospitality frenzy, trying to get, you know, everything ready to feed 13 guests. And Mary, her sister, doesn't really go to the kitchen and help. She just sits down at the feet of Jesus. And kind of taking this all in, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are concerned about so many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the better thing. Mary chose to just sit and be attentive to whatever Jesus had for her that day. Is it really possible to boil down our desires to one thing? I don't know about you, but at any given time in my life, I have kind of got this running list of, I would say, somewhere between maybe four and six circumstances that I just wish could change in my life. And if I was honest, I had this kind of list, and I'm thinking, man, if, just, if these things would line up all together at once, just think about how peaceful, how happy and joyful my life would be. And it could be a host of things kind of not even really related. It could be finances. It could be relationship, marriage, things with the kids, a work environment, health issues. But but usually, if I'm sticking with 80s references here, when I'm trying to do that, it's kind of like me trying to work on a Rubik's Cube. All right? I can get one side of a Rubik's Cube figured out. It might take me a while, okay? But as soon as I try to start solving the other sides while keeping the one side, after a while, I have no sides. (laughs) I've jacked it all back up again, and I'm back to square zero. And that's what it's like for me a lot of times when I'm trying to figure things out on my own in life. I might be able to get one thing kind of going in a good direction, but about the time I do, and I start working on something else, and the first thing I had figured out starts falling apart again, and it's it's all back to zero again. Today, we're gonna take a look at that phrase again, the one thing. It pops up in this Old Testament psalm. We're going to take a look at that. But throughout our lives, all of us come to God with a, a various requests. And it, it's a good thing that we do. We realize that we have some needs, and so we come to God. Um, some of those things, uh, probably especially early on in our lives, uh, might have been kind of trivial, maybe not for us at the time, but, but definitely kind of self-centered. You know, we've all probably prayed when that teacher put that test down on our desk that we know we didn't study for. God, help me, you know. I promise I'll do this, that, and the other, you know, if you just let me pass this test. Or maybe we tried out for that middle school volleyball team or basketball team or cheerleading squad. We're just like, Lord, just please let me, let my name be on that list when they put it on the door, you know. Or maybe we've been in that situation where we The bases are loaded to two outs in the last inning. We're like, God, just please don't let me strike out. You know, at least let me hit it in play so I don't look like a total loser, right? Or maybe even, hey, God, I've noticed that boy and girl are class and I have no clue if they even know I exist. Figure out a way to, you know, let us sit next to each other when they switch the seating chart or whatever it might be. As we move on in life, hopefully our prayers maybe become a little bit more mature, a little bit more serious. We might pray for, you know, the right spouse or that, we would have healthy children or children that would follow the Lord. Maybe as our parents get older, we pray, you know, that we would have wisdom about how to take care of them. Whatever the prayer may be, the common context is the felt need. Whether it's something trivial or something as important as kind of life and death issues at times, God understands our needs, and he wants us to ask. He's a God, he tells us in his word, that wants to do good things for his children. He reminds us of that in, in the book of Matthew Chapter 7, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? But again, I ask the question, is it possible to boil down all the things that we desire in life down to one thing, one request? A.W. Tozer said this, he said, for all God's goodwill towards us, he is unable to grant us our heart's desires till all our desires have been reduced to one. And so if there's any truth to that statement, we'd probably better start figuring out what is it the one thing, what is that one thing that we need to desire And bring to God. Context matters, doesn't it? If I say I do to the question, do you want to supersize that meal? My uh, my lunch might be a happier experience or maybe, you know, maybe not happier (laughs) 30 minutes later. But if I say I do standing in front of a minister next to a woman in a white wedding dress, that has some different implications, doesn't it? A little bit more lasting, hopefully. So context matters. I want you to open your Bibles today to Psalm 27, page 386. Go ahead and also and, and grab a pen, grab your, your program today, flip it over on the back side where there's some room for some notes. <clears throat> Psalm 27 I want you to to just take a minute and read through this psalm yourself. I want you to to write down any context clues that you can see, any words. We just put another kid through the grinder. No, the answer is Jesus. Jesus. I want you to, um, the people that are listening at home on the website this week will be like, what are they talking about? So anyways, um, the beauty of being here, right? Uh, What I want you to do is read through this, write down any context clues that you see. So words, phrases that give us some insight into what David might have been going through when he sits down to write this psalm. And you can just make a list of some of those words and I'll ask you for some of those here in a minute. So take a second to read that. And just as an aside here, um, it's always important when you're reading uh, or teaching on something to to kind of have the context of what's going on, Uh, to not just look at one verse or two verses without, or one chapter without knowing the story that's gone on before that, or maybe that's gone on after, or, you know, trying to get some context for for what's behind what's being said. So just with a show of hands here, if you've got something, what are some of the words that kind of pack some power that give us some context into David's situation his circumstances right now? What are some of those words that stood out to you? Raise your hand real quick. Gary? Evil. Men advancing evil, evil men. Yeah. Fear. What else? It's lots of stuff. Let's not be shy. Let's not make this take forever. Yes. Oppressors. Good. Besieged. Good. What else? Yeah, John? Okay. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah, he sheltered me. What's that? Okay. Here's some of the things that I got out of this. Devour, enemies, foes, attack, besiege, war, trouble, surround, rejected, forsaken, accusations, violence. It gives you a pretty... Gruesome context, doesn't it? I mean, a lot of really, really troubling circumstances obviously going on in David's life at this time. It seems like David would have this really long list of petitions for God. God, I want you to change this and this and this and this and this and so that I could have some peace in life, so that I could be happy. But what does David pray? Look at verse four. One thing I ask of the Lord this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. One thing I ask. You see, David had been driven out of town. He was kind of on the run. A lot of uh, scholars have kind of placed this psalm at a, a time when David uh, was kind of young and um, and the King Saul, who was the king, you know, during the whole David and Goliath thing, uh, that, that the, David had been promised that he was going to be the next king after this guy. King Saul had gotten jealous of David and had tried to kill him. And so David was on the run. He was hiding out in caves and in foreign lands. He'd been betrayed and forsaken by, by friends and family. And all this stuff is going on. David had been promised that he was going to be the next king. And he'd, he'd had some victories. He'd slayed Goliath. He'd led israel's troops and and these amazing victories and then he's sitting here in the midst of these circumstances wondering what's going on howard baker describes david's situation like this you can put that up there david had lost everything he has nothing left except one thing a desperate desire for god this is what it means to be a person after god's own heart having lost everything david doesn't curse god instead he wants god Having been betrayed by family and friends, he doesn't blame God, rather he seeks God. Having been confronted by merciless human ugliness, he doesn't forsake God, he longs for the beauty of God. What sort of a person had he become that he could seek God alone, disregarding all other interests? How did he manage in the midst of absolute poverty to pray the absolute prayer? when I read that last line of that quote, I began to get an understanding on kind of what I think our problem is, or at least what my problem is, and that's that I've never really experienced absolute poverty. And and, you know, when we talk about poverty, we talk about it in two senses, you know, a spiritual poverty, which I've probably come closer to experiencing, but then also there is just a physical poverty, and David was really kind of more so on the physical side here. I've never been in a place where I've lacked shelter or clothes or food or friends or a church community that I could go to and be a part of if I chose to. So it's difficult for us to walk a mile in David's shoes here and to get a sense of what he was feeling when there are so many things in our American culture that bring us comfort. In order to find a way to replicate his desire for God alone, in the midst of our circumstances, we would first have to do some soul searching to see can we actually resist the desire to find comfort and satisfaction in anything else besides the presence of God. That's really the only way we could get into his mindset here. So the next obvious question we would need to follow up with is what or to whom or where we run when our heart is troubled, when our circumstances are are vexing? Is it God alone or is it the Jesus and syndrome that we've talked about here? Oh, yeah, when, it, when things are troubling, I'll pray. Sure, I'll do that. But I'll also drown my sorrows in food or escape or in distraction or in work or in relationships or in, in good deeds or in worry or probably my greatest one, which is just trying to solve the problem myself in my own wisdom and strength. What are my sources of temporary satisfaction other than God himself? See, the problem for most of us is that we have divided hearts. See, there's just one part of us that, that really, really wants to just trust God alone. But our human instincts and our worldly passions and our desire for the here and now make us impatient to wait on God or unwilling to accept what his answer to our troubles might be because it might not be what we want to hear. David understood the struggle of a heart divided between the world's solutions and the presence of God. If you look in Psalm 86:11, David prayed this. He said, "Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name." I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Chronicles, chapter 28. It's on page 300. I was going to let you dangle there for a while. 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles. That's, That's probably one you don't turn to very often. Page 300. And this is at the end of David's life. Just a couple chapters later you'll read about his death. and So these are some of his dying words. And so in kind of some of the last moments of his life, he, he gets his son, Solomon, who's going to be the heir to his throne. He brings Solomon in, and this is what he says to him. I want you to look at verse 9, of chapter 28. It says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Serve him with wholehearted devotion. Give me an undivided heart. You know, only as we examine what divides our heart, what what ruling passions in our life Share the place of desire and satisfaction other than God. Only as we do that hard work can we really begin moving in the direction of understanding what it means to seek the one thing. If we aren't even aware of what it is that we run to, if we haven't even been honest, then it's very hard for us to get into this mindset of boiling it down to just having the right focus and asking for the right thing. You see, we lack intimacy with God. Because at our core, most of us, we're just half hearted creatures. We want a little bit of God kind of on our terms when He tells us the things that we want to hear, doesn't make things too difficult for us. But we're not sure we want the God who, who challenges us and says some very difficult things to us at times, pushes on some of our idols in our life. Now, to be honest, David wasn't perfect. Those of you that know his story know that he had an affair. He killed the woman's husband, just to name a couple of his bigger mistakes, okay? But here's the difference, though. Show that slide. It says, David, like us, made inexcusable mistakes. David, like us, hurt and was hurt by those he loved. David, like us, knew the heights of joy and the depths of despair. But unlike most of us, through it all, with an undivided heart, He wanted God more than anything. So how did David get there? How did he become this this man that desired one thing, desired God? It's important to note that while, as we looked before, the context of evil was very present in his circumstances, another context was equally as real. ...to him in that moment as he wrote this psalm today... ...and that was the presence of God himself. And this context defined reality for David. Look at how he began that psalm. Back in, verse, in Psalm 27, verse 1 says... ...the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Before David gets into listing his many troubles, he reminds himself about the nature of God. Despite what's going on here, who do I know God is? And then that becomes the lens in which he filters all of the other circumstances that are coming his way. He defines what is true first. The Lord isn't just a light, the Lord is my light giving me direction, casting out the shadows in front of me, giving me understanding and knowledge. The Lord isn't just salvation for all people, but he's my salvation. He saves me. The Lord isn't just a stronghold, but he is the stronghold of my life. David is reminding himself what is true about God and what is true about himself as a beloved child of God. And because these things are true, then he says, then whom shall I be afraid? Look at verse 2. He says, when evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Why? Because of the faithfulness of God. Because he's seen him do it before, because he knows that he's for him. Verse three, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Why? Because of the nature of God, because God's done it before, because he's been in some pretty tough situations, standing before a nine-foot guy, right? that there's no way he can kill and he's seen God do it. And so he has to remind himself in the midst of circumstances that are troubling, who has God been, who is he, and who am I? His his beloved child, who he says, you are more than a conqueror in the book of Romans. You know, all things are possible for those who are in Christ. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Why is this the one thing that he asked for? Of all the things that he could ask for. Well, let's look at another psalm that David wrote. Look at Psalm 63.3. It says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Because your love is better than life, better than the best day in my marriage, better than the best day with my best friend doing the best thing that we love to do, better than the day in my life where I've got the most money in my bank account that I will ever have, Better than my greatest vacation, better than my greatest adventure, better than my favorite movie, music, TV show, possession, relationship, anything the world has to offer. Your love is better than life. So why wouldn't I seek you above anything else in this world? why wouldn't that be my greatest desire? Do we really believe that God's love is better than life? Do we believe that we could take all of our longings and our desires and our circumstances and our hurt and our pain and boil them all all down to one prayer? One thing I seek. That I could dwell in your house, that I could be with you to gaze upon your beauty all the days of my life. Well, maybe the problem is that we've forgotten whom it is we're seeking. We've lost our desire for God somewhere along the way because if we're honest, the things of this world are providing us adequate satisfaction. And so when we're adequately satisfied, our desire to seek something else just isn't really that powerful. Howard Baker puts that dilemma like this. He says, anyone who has lost his desire for God has first lost the vision of God's magnificence, brilliance, and radiant glory. If you find your desire for God waning, look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. And guys, that's what we're going to do in the next three weeks. We're going to give you a vision for your desire. We're going to take a look at Jesus. We're going to look at his words. We're going to look at his interactions with people. We're going to see if, if keeping our eyes focused on him might not spark something in our hearts, rekindle some of our lost desires, some of our misplaced passions, As we close today, I want to invite you into an exercise with us. Uh, On the inside of your rows, you should see some cards like this. If you could pass those down your row so that everybody has one. And if we're short on one row, if you could hand some back to others. If you need them, just raise your hand or tap on a shoulder. We have some upstairs? You're good? Okay. Guys, before we uh, just give you some time to ponder some things, and I just want to remind you of the, the purpose of why we're here. You know, besides for obviously giving God praise and glory for who He is, we, we come to church, and, and this time that I'm speaking to you is not just for you to just receive information. Well, we're a pretty well-educated, well-informed culture Okay, but the purpose of what we're doing here is to be transformed, to change. And that takes thought, not just coming and just absorbing and and just kind of walking out and trying to have a conversation over lunch of, well, was Bob good today or was he not very good? Did I get fed today or was I kind of disappointed in what he had to share? Okay, that's a wrong mentality. The right mentality is, regardless of how good or bad I was, God's word is still good. So as long as we're talking about that, we've got some things to deal with in our life, okay? So that's where our focus is, on change. So in a second here, not quite yet, I'm gonna put up three questions on this screen. And what I want you to do is just take a look at those. You can write your answers on this card. I'm gonna give you three or four minutes. It's gonna be that long, awkward pause at church, okay? At the very least, if you're a slow reflector, write the questions down so you can have them at home this week, okay? And after I give you some time uh, to look through these questions and respond, um, then I'll set up our, our communion time, okay? So go ahead and put those questions up. I want to share with you just one example from my own life of, I guess, how I would answer that question this morning. Um, and I would say, you know, when you're thinking in terms of what are some of the most pressing life circumstances, is it's what's occupying your mind. I mean, what's keeping you from from sleeping? What's, you know, what's what's when you're daydreaming, what it is you're thinking about? Um, and it's just one example. I could come up with some others. But I coach cross country at Central and. Um, every time that there's a race day I'm just like torn apart because I've got you know 45 kids on my team and there's kids that have great races and kids that have really bad ones and there's kids that are really excited and there's kids that are really bummed and I'm excited about some things that the team has done and I'm kind of discouraged about some other things that the team has done and um yesterday was just one of those days my emotions were just all over the place with things um And in the midst of those circumstances, then what do I know is true about God? Well, what I know is true about God is that he loves these kids on my team. I know that he says that we are supposed to, everything that we do, we're supposed to do it for the glory of God. So he wants us to be excellent and do our best, whether it's them running or me coaching. What do I know is true about me? Well, I know for one thing it's true is that I screw up a lot, that when I was in high school and I ran, I didn't have great races every day. What I also know is true about me is that God chose me to be the, the coach of this group of kids, and he's given me the, the, the power to, and everything that I need to do that well. So then in the midst of those circumstances are the things besides God that you're looking to for comfort. Yeah, I'm trying to figure it out on my own. I'm sitting on the bus yesterday, and I'm trying to put it all together and trying to figure out, okay, what, what inspiring speech do I need to give to these kids on Monday? You know, as we reflect on what we just did that's going to set them up to, for success in the future. Instead of just stopping and praying and just say, God, I want to know what what you have for us. What what do you have for me in this situation? What What do you want to say? How do you want to handle this situation? Do I just need to say anything? Should I just shut up? Should we get the service over? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, that's just an example of how you kind of process through that thing. Now, one thing I want you to keep in mind for number two, one of the reasons why I think we get stuck and we can't break through to figuring out what that one thing is is because we don't know the word of God very well. And we don't know what God's nature is. See, if we don't spend time in His Word, then we don't, we don't learn about His character. And so then it very, makes us very hard to then trust Him and know how to proceed when we just don't even know who He is, when we don't know what He says about us, what's true about us as followers of Christ, the kind of, of power that's at our disposal, the way in which we're supposed to relate to Him and operate. And so that's why we spend time in God's word. So that when these pressing circumstances come in, we, we, we can be like David. We can say, Lord, you are my strength. You are my rock. You are my fortress. And, and those things have context because of the way that he's been those things in our life before. So today what I want to invite you to do as we close with communion is if, if you've finished your card up and you want to bring it forward, And in kind of a symbolic way, just kind of lay that card down and just say, God, I'm laying down the many for the one. Your body and your blood, your sacrifice for me, it's the only thing that's going to satisfy me. The only thing that's going to solve the problems on this card, the one thing that I want to seek more than anything This week, as you look at that card and wrestle through this, I want you to be able to acknowledge those things that are pressing. I want you to spend some time reminding yourself who God is, who you are. And I want you to ask the question, do I really believe that God's love is better than the things that this world has to offer? Do I really believe that? Do my actions show that that is true? Or is that really just kind of lip service? Let's pray. And uh, then the ushers will dismiss you in a minute to come forward for communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just an amazing example of David, who as we look at the context of, of that time in his life, man, what a just absolute disaster. So many just overwhelming odds pressing down against him, God. But something had happened in his heart. Something was so true at the core of who he was that in the midst of all that stuff, he seeks one thing. To dwell with you, to be with you, to gaze upon your beauty, to give you glory and praise. That's what he wanted more than anything. God, sometimes my heart seems so far from that. That kind of intimacy with you, that kind of relationship with you, seems just a long way away from so many earthly things that i really find satisfaction in besides you so god help me repent of those things help us all just be honest and come to you and just say god i've been seeking satisfaction in these other things and not you and god i want that to change lord we just give you this time just speak to our hearts help us to speak to you